Hi everyone and welcome to The Recovery. This week I'm joined by Dr. Rob Kelly. Hi Rob, how's it going? Hey Tony, it's going very well, very well indeed. Good day today. You're the first doctor we've had on The, the Recovery so far and the reason I, I wanted to talk to you was because you're not like a normal doctor, you're not like, you know, uh, the little rich kid that had it all and then went off to live the dream to, to do a, a textbook. Uh, treatment service as such yours is a much different story and i'd like to just like start at the beginning really yeah well you're correct you know i lived on a trailer park um a council estate back in england and uh, at the age of nine i started drinking i was on stage i'm a musician by trade that's what i've always wanted to do and i was playing on stage with a musical family my uncle and auntie and my first beer was given to me because one day i was so nervous to go on stage and my uncle said drink this beer and I drank it, and oh my God, the whole world took off. Yeah. He's like, where's this stuff been at the age of nine? It was like mind-blowing. And all of a sudden I could play, and then later on in life, in my teens, I could speak to girls, you know, I could get in conversations, I could be confident. And sorry, to be honest with you, the first 10 years or something, alcohol was really good to me. And yeah. then I started taking drugs, and cocaine was my deal. And I never took anything down, it was always upper for me. I always wanted to be in charge always wanted to know what I was doing. So I kind of got out of the council estate thing because um, I applied for a job at a recording studio uh, in Stockport, just outside Manchester. And it was owned by 10CC. I don't know if you remember them. No, they had a few hits. Yeah. Young for that. So it was lovely, yeah. So I, I was a, a, a session musician there. And then out of the blue, a friend of a friend uh, said, hey, there's, uh, there's a bass player job going at Abbey Road in London. And I'm like, wow, I'm now still drinking, so I'm full of confidence. So I, I went down to Abbey Road. I had uh, seven auditions, and every audition outside, the first audition, I drank one beer. Then the second audition, I drank two beers. Yeah. So by the time we got to the seventh audition, which was months later, before email, you'd have to receive a letter. I went in there and I was drunk as hell when I went in. But I did my session work and come out and I got the job. Yeah. I believe that crap, I got the job. So, I, you know. I used to do exactly the same thing whenever I had an important job coming up. People like would trust me to do vox popping or they'd like, you know, I had friends in the industry that wanted me to go in to do TV and I would go and do it. And I would think, right, I just have a line before I go to give me, to give me the courage. And then by the time I got there, I would have had two grams of Coke. And I, and I, I you know, I would be asking, trying to ask people why they were at this concert. And I'd be like, look, look, look. I just couldn't <laughs> think. And every time they gave me another chance, they'd be like, okay, Janet Streetboer really believed in me at that point. She'd be like, okay, we want you to do it again. We know you can do it. And I'd fuck it up every time. Because, you know, I didn't have the courage. I thought that drugs would give me that extra push. They would make me, you know, completely, because alcohol and every other drug throughout choice always gave me courage. But, you know, when you, when you put the, such pressure on yourself and you, get, you, you don't have a limit, you, you, there's no way of controlling it. So you're going to fuck up. Yeah, yeah, fuck up every time. That, that's what happened. There's so many times, just like you said, so that, that you have an event or have an occasion and I get down there with a strict guideline. Like, I'm just going to have one beer and that is it. And I always got shit-faced every fucking time. And it used to actually blow my mind. I'm like, why can't I do this? Mm -hmm. You know, why can't I do this? So when I, when I got the job at Abbey Road, 
uh, it put me through college. I went to Oxford, and nobody in my family has been to college. But I'm, I'm, I'm and you probably you'll relate to this. I'm go big or get the fuck on. You know, don't be messing around, dude. Either do it or don't do it. So that's why I went to Oxford, and then I played with. I did sessions with Elton John, David Bowie, and Queen, to to mention a few. And uh, life was amazing, man. I'm telling you, I was doing the coke, I was doing the alcohol, I was getting banged every day. I mean, I was this crazy doctor that everyone sort of took the mickey out of because it was like, you're not supposed to act like this. You know, it's supposed to be all prima prima. But what I found as well is I had the imposter syndrome. I don't know whether you suffered from this. Tony, <laughs> it's but the, exactly the same thing. I always had. Right? When when they're going to find out yeah, that it's yeah. not really me, you know? Always, I could be on a plane flying. To- I said I share this quite a bit, like flying to LA to do a really amazing job, and the whole way on the plane, I'm thinking they're going to find out, they're going to realise I'm shit, they're going to hate my music, they're going to send me, a, and that's the way my mind works. You know, today I I still have those thought process all the time, but you know what? I get I I have tools to deal with it, but we'll get to the tools later. Yeah. yeah. So I was uh, I was doing what I was supposed to do. I was going to school like a good boy. I was uh, graduated. God knows how I graduated, but I did. You know, I'm, I'm a wheeler and dealer. You know, I'm from the streets. So when I'm going to Oxford, like, people think I'm just a normal Oxford boy. I'm wheeling and dealing like crap to make sure that I get my exams done, get the test done, get the papers in. And when I left, um, I graduated. And my drinking was, it was harsh. It was nothing really crazy. Uh, and then I got fired from Abbey Road for being wasted when I turned up for a session. So... And then I joined the police force for about six months. They fired me as well uh, at a telecom company. Uh, made a couple of million. So now I've got the big house. Now I've got the Porsches, the Bentleys. I've got a kid. Uh, I've got two kids and a wife. And everything was good. That was it. Me settled down. I mean, it was just going to be a nice home family. And uh, it went horribly wrong, Tony. I mean, really sadly horribly wrong. You know, it, it, it's uh, written in the stars it was going to go wrong, you know. We, 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 we have this stuff given to us, we work so hard to get it. And then the imposter syndrome and the slow self-worth kicks in and, you know, we start to use on feeling good. You know, we use yeah. on our thoughts. You know, we don't, we don't use because we're feeling bad. We use because we use. That's the way yeah. we are. It's wired in us. It's the way we are. You know, we don't need a reason. And when life's going really well, we have to sabotage it. Yeah. Always. Always. I don't, I don't think there's one time when I didn't, to be honest. No. It always ended up in, in shit heaven when I was there. So I got married, promised my wife I wouldn't ever drink again. <laughs> worst, worst four hours of my life, because that's all I lasted, about four hours. Of course. But I was coming downstairs one morning, and this is the sad part, and uh, about three o'clock in the morning, I needed a drink. And you had some drinks somewhere in the house. So I grabbed the bottle off it. I said, I saw a bottle of vodka. I'm like, oh, amazing. Put it on the side. Here's the crazy part. I, I turned around to get a crystal glass because I'm not drinking out the fucking bottle like any alcoholic. Yeah. I want a crystal glass. So I've got this crystal glass. I turned around and the, my wife has snatched the bottle off the counter. And she said, I think you've had enough, Rob. I could have thought about that for a second. I could have thanked her. I could have gone up to bed and slept the other three hours. What I did, he took a kitchen knife out and I stabbed her three times. So as she hit the floor bleeding, I called the ambulance and then I called the taxi to the airport. And I went to Spain for three months. Mm-hmm. And the only reason why I came back is because she promised not to press charges. Mm-hmm. And when I finally did come back, she had a suitcase packed and the two kids there. And she said, I'll love you to the day I die, Rob. You're not killing my kids. And she left. 
I got on my attorney because I got an ego like the size of nobody. Yeah. You know, I got on my attorney and said, get my kids back. I'll give you 25 grand. So the next day, he brought the kids back and uh, I give him the 25 grand. And, oh, listen to this, Tony. I walked into the room. I sat them down. I was feeling so proud that I got my little kids back. And I walked into the kitchen and I thought, I'll just have one drink to celebrate my kids back. <laughs> just one drink. Mm. Three days later, when the police kicked the door down, the baby's not been fed or changed diapers or nappies. They served me with unfit father. And my daughter said three things before she left 20-something years ago. It was, Daddy, Daddy, please don't go. Then she said, Daddy, Daddy, please get better. And the last thing she said was, Daddy, Daddy, please stop drinking. And I couldn't do it. No, of course you can. You're powerless. Because what yeah. we do is we get to that stage where we, we, we're no longer in control. We, we think we're in control of everything. And we, when we get to that point of, okay, I'm not going to do this again. And six hours later, we're doing exactly the same thing. And we wonder why. We wonder why because, you know, it's like, oh, I thought I was never going to do this again. We're powerless over that. We don't have no control whatsoever. And when you meet people that say, oh, I can't believe I've done it again. I'm, I, I literally, the first words that come out of my mouth every time, I, I can. Of course you can. You're always going to do this until you start to treat it, start looking at it as, as a problem. Yeah. So, so what happened then? Uh, well, six months after that, lost cars, houses, wife, kids. Yeah. Uh, went to mom and dad, they threw me out. Went to friends, they threw me out. Went to acquaintances, they threw me out. Yeah. And I was on the streets. I was sleeping in bus shelters. I was sleeping yeah. underneath buses, cardboard boxes. You know, and I stayed on the streets for 14 so months. How long from that first drink of, uh, to being on the streets did it take? To losing everything? Nine, well, from the age of nine, it would have been 20 years. No, 18 years or something but, like that. You know, I, I always think, you know, for me, when I, the first drink wasn't the, was never the problem. It was always, it was a year down the line, two years down the line, when yeah. it started to become a problem. So from, from the problem of you thinking the first time you thought, I can't do this again, to being on the streets, how long was that progression? About six months, I think. Something like that. Amazing. And, I, yeah. And then what I do is I drink and I'll be drunk next day and blacked out. Then other times when I said, I'm, not, I'm done with this, I have a sneaky drink and three months later, everything's still good. And I'm thinking, well, I'm not an alcoholic. There's so no cool. We just then, try it, right? Bam. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, my story is so similar to yours, of course, about the kids. But, you know, I uh, travel in the world, had it all, had everything, had the house, had everything, my dream house. And literally from the minute I moved into that dream house, it took nine months to me for me to be homeless. Wow. I left the house, I, I didn't give a shit about it. I left with one mirror, uh, with the mirror that I used to rack up on. I moved on, I was homeless and a friend said, I've got this flat you can move into. I moved into it, stayed there for six months. Then, then kind of, you know, my career was still re relatively, I was still earning big money. And I kind of just still, once I've become homeless, I've become like that, in that place of like, I'm all right with this. I justified yeah. being, being homeless. Because I could yeah. hotel rooms two nights or three nights, spend the money on the drugs, and then two days I'd stay at a friend. It was insane. It was oh, insane. I've never had anybody say that. I thought I was the only one that thought that, but I got pretty comfortable on the streets. Uh -huh. Like, this ain't so bad. You know, I can steal during the day, get drunk in the afternoon, and then lie on the grass. God, that's unbelievable. Well, I kind of think, you know, when we look at, like, you know, there's, when you see these guys on the streets, the, the drunk guys on the streets begging, 
and you offer them help. They don't want help. They're comfortable where they are. And yeah. you know, people find it really hard to think that, they, that they're comfortable. We become who we are, who we're with. And they, 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 they're like, they, they're, yeah. their friends are on the streets. They've got no, they've got no bills to pay. Everything yeah. Some of these guys earn 300, 400 quid a day, yeah. $800 a day just from begging. Uh, and it all goes on drugs. I mean, why would they yeah. want to go off, get off the street? Exactly. Exactly. So, when, I, when I stop and give uh, somebody $20 or something, I always get friends going, you know they're going to buy alcohol, aren't you? I said, I fucking hope so. Always. And that's what I would fucking do. People say to me all the time, why are you giving them money for drugs? Because you know what? When I was there, if someone gave me 20 quid, it would have been a holiday. That's why. And, you know, and I always, always, there's certain ones I will always give money to because I know how hard it is, not only for them, but it is for all of us to go yeah. into that situation. If someone come along and gave me 20 quid when I was homeless and skip, it would have it it been the world. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So Definitely. you were homeless. Let's talk about where it went from there. Well, I had a, a huge spiritual awakening. Uh, I dropped down to my hands. It was, it was like 2.30 in the morning, 3 o'clock. It was pouring down with rain, it was freezing cold in Manchester. I had no shoes, somebody stole them from the night before because I was drunk. Probably so I'm walking down the side entrance, probably you. <laughs> no. I was right on a small entrance and I just dropped to my knees, man. And I knew I was done. I was crying from my belly, like a belly cry. Yeah. And I just looked up to the sky and I said, if there's a God up there, I can't do this on my own anymore. Yeah. And a guy walked around the corner, he had a little Bible in his hand, he said, do you want help? And I said, yeah, I'm dying. Because I, I committed suicide six times. And twice it had worked. I was dead for a minute and a minute and a half. My heart stopped and they brought me back. What did you so do? So I knew it was done. How did you try to kill yourself? Well, I slit my wrists, first of all. You know, real, I still have the real deep markings on now. And uh, I took a huge overdose of, uh, of pain pills. And somebody found me unconscious and they called the ambulance. And I, I, the funny thing is, I woke, I woke up and it was these six white angels around me. All looking down at me, and I'm thinking, thank God for that, I got to heaven. There's fucking nurses. Of course. There's nurses trying to get drips of me and everything. I'm like, holy shit, I can't kill myself. I can't kill myself. You know, you have to be, to, to want to take your own life, you know, that you have to be in this place of real desperation and real pain. Uh, you know, for me, I tried to, one, uh, there was one night when I wanted to kill myself, and I, I, I sat on Vauxhall Bridge, and it was, it was raining, and I was going to jump in, and I had no cigarettes and I went home to get my cigarettes and sat on the sofa and thought, actually, I'm not going to do it. But I think if I had cigarettes, I would have definitely jumped. 100%. Because the process, it took me from walking from Boxwell Bridge back to my house in the rain, kind of, it was, it was you know, it, it changed my thought process. And when I, by the time I got home and I had that cigarette, I just thought, okay, what the fuck are you doing, Tony? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But I, mean, I, I had this conversation this morning about the fact that, I did everything in my power to kill myself yeah. on a daily basis. The drugs that I took, if someone offered me something, I wouldn't even ask what it was. I would, put, I would snort it or swallow it. Yeah. Could have been anything. And, you know, and that's because I was so desperate to change the way I felt. I was so desperate to just annihilate myself. You know, and to get to that point where you actually go through with it and cut your own wrist, is, it's... it's there's an awful lot you know despair there and the, and the trauma that comes after that how did you deal with that man i still have it today tony you know when i when i finally got off the streets i went to a little uh, bed set or something or a halfway house and i just started doing my stuff you know working with people and then I, and then i got back into practice 
uh, uh, psychology. I open, I open a practice, and but I know I knew there was something missing. Here's the crazy part: because Alcohol's Anonymous is great, NA is great, all of them are great, but there was something missing, and this is what I found out through 27 years of research. This is why we're different to anybody else. The, the hypothalamus at the back of the brain it secretes into the brain the normal fight or flight for any human being. So it, it, it tells it to drink water and eat food to survive. Yeah. No one has to teach us that. That's what the brain tells us. With the alcoholic, it tells us to drink alcohol. Yeah. So why wouldn't we not drink alcohol? Exactly. So as soon as that's triggered for the first drink, we're fucked yeah, unless we need a psychic change or a, ch a change of neural pathways. And that's what I, I, I uh, specialize in, is changing them neural no. pathways. So I was asked this morning, thinking, someone said, oh, do you think that your past is what defined you as as an addict and uh, I said totally different no of course it wasn't I was born this way yes it, it is an hereditary disease that's yes. handed down from my whole family who are all way long way late way back alcoholism all the way through the family and and you know I was born this way I didn't stand a chance and as you say as soon as you have that first drink or drug or situation yeah. or uh, you know someone shows you the right amount of love these endorphins are released and, and you can't get enough. No, you're chasing that first high. Of course you are. You're chasing that first drink. And, you you and it's definitely wiring us. And I really like the fact that you said about the neuro parts, because you know, for me, I got clean uh, in, in, in 2007. And for the, the next three years, I gurned constantly. Because every time I went near anything that I associated with doing drugs, i.e. groups of friends, DJing, uh, just anything in general that I associated with my drug taking, which was almost everything, I gurned. And it was about learning to change the neuropath system in my brain. So I would use the tip of my tongue as a pressure point to stop yeah. me from gurning. I still gurn today when I'm tired, when my receptors are low, yeah. or, I'm, I, uh, or, I'm, yeah, or I'm really stressed. It is crazy. And, and that trauma from childhood follows us through uh, to adult life. Add the alcohol, add the addictive brain, which we're born with, uh, add any sort of problems, any sort of success. I was scared of success and scared of failure. Still How am. fucked up is that? Still am, to this day. Yeah. No, my yeah. life's really good at the moment. Works great. You know, I built up, built up, but I'm so fearful around it. I'm so fearful of what success brings. I'm so fearful of what failure brings. Yeah. I know there's, for, as, a, as an addict, I'd rather just stay in the middle and glide. Yeah. That's not how it works. No, you know I mean? unfortunately, yeah. You know, staying in the middle and being comfortable, nothing good comes from comfort, as we know. No. So, you know, it's about taking those risks. And as an addict, that plays fucking havoc with my head. Yeah, yeah so, it does. It's like a constant battle. Not all about you, Tony. It's a constant battle. The other thing is to do as well is I'm scared of going broke. And, and I, I have nightmares of going broke. And my wife grabbed me by the scruff of her neck and she says, you have a million dollars in the fucking bank. Why the hell should you think you go broke, Tom? Well, Tony, I do. You know, if, if something happens or the, the, the fucking water heater goes and we have to replace it, 10 grand, I'm like, oh my God, have we got 10 grand? Oh my God. It's, Life, oh, you know, it's what with COVID and everything here and just all around the world. You know, like the, the, my, I suddenly stopped working and over the last few years, like, yeah, I did all right. And, I, you know, I, we, 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 we live well and, you know, very blessed to have what I've got. But, you know, as, as I've not worked for four months, five months, you can see it going down. And I started having, I'm having bad dreams, I'm having nightmares. 
I'm cancelling this, I'm cancelling that. You know, <laughs> and it's just like, you know, it's, it's, it's unnecessary worry. But as an addict, that's what we do. Yeah. You know, I can get a brown envelope through my door. I not, not, not open it, just leave it on the side. And I will wake up at 2 a.m. in the morning and I will, it will go from a brown envelope to me going to, into prison. In, within three hours. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Seriously, I say, I'm going to prison. It's all about that, blah, blah, blah. They're going to lock me up. I know, I'll kill myself. And that's it at 6 a.m., but thoughts in my mind, you should kill yourself. And then I get out of bed and the letter's not even addressed to me. You know, that's how that process works. Because, you know, the, the, you know the, from between 2 a.m. and 6 a.m., my addict's working up more than I ever do. Do you know what I mean? My brain will catastrophize everything. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. and that brain and I've years clean. I still battle with that, but I have the tools today. I know that, that what it is now. I can, I can be in it for like a couple of hours. My head will go. And then as soon as I change position, i.e. I get out of bed, that thought process is gone. Yeah. So yeah. What I've learned to do now is I get up. If I'm having a, a thought process like that, I will come up and sit in the living room in a safe place, which I call my safe place, which is normally on the sofa looking out the window at the garden. And I come back down. And, and, you know, it's about learning those coping mechanisms and realizing that it's not real in that sense. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah definitely. Like, fear's a big one, isn't it, for us? It really yeah, is. Yeah, it is. And I think it's always going to be there. But, um, and there's so many with different ways of dealing with it. But at the end of the day, I'm just like exactly the same as you. The brown envelope equals uh, jail in three hours. Oh, You know, and I can't, I can't open it. I do, I do a lot better today, but it's just like that horrible pit in your stomach, Tony. So tell me what you guys at Rob Kelly Recovery Center do. You, 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 you treat addiction as the person and, and not as addiction. So I'd love to know what you do. Well, we're a great believer in the alcohol and drugs is just a symptom. It's not the problem. The problem is my brain. So yeah. I'm born with this brain. And it's, and it's like if I go, in, if I go to a, a sandwich shop, my, I said to my friend, what do you want? I have a cheese sandwich. Is that it? Yeah. What do you want, Rob? Cheese sandwich, two packs of those, gives a bag of crisp and, and two... It's the addictive brain wants never enough. But once the understanding of that, we, using neuro-linguistic program and psychology, we will remap the neural pathways so that the self-sabotaging neural pathways, and there are billions, is my knee-jerk reaction. We can't stop it. We change that around. So self-goods, you know, self-kindness is the neural pathway that I learned. But while we're doing that, we're also looking at the behavior. We use somatic experience, which looks at the body, my body will tell me a week before I'm going to relapse what's happening. I get that gut feeling. I get tightness in the chest. And that's like alarm bells. Because my alcoholism will never come on a Monday to and go, hey, do you want a drink today? Fucking never does that. It's a week or a month before when, when Jenny in the corners are pain in the ass and, and, and Billy gets on my nerves and stuff. Exactly that. You know, the, the, you know you're sitting and watching TV and thinking, oh, for fuck's sake, why am I watching this shit again? Yes. Um, but why oh, I can't listen? You hear someone talking, your partner, and you think, shut the fuck up in your mind. Yes. And that's the start. That's the start of the, yes. of the whole, it. here we go again. Because, you know, within two weeks later, that, yeah. thought, like that obsession, which overrides all other obsessions, comes yeah. on. And, and, you know, and, and we just think, fuck, I'm in such a bad way. But, you know, it's about noticing it when you get those first thoughts. You can stop it at that first thought. Yeah. As I said, you can the second and the third. Yes. But once he gets to here, 
what we call the prefrontal cortex, yeah. done. You're done. People like me and you can. It's, have you ever turned back from, from the drive to, to the, to the theatre? I've never turned back. I've never stopped the car on the way and go, you know something, Rob? This is not a good idea. I would argue with myself. Yeah. Well, why are you doing this again? Why are you doing this again? And then I would think, I know why I'm doing it again because I fucking need to do it. And yeah. that, that, that would be that process. And the only reason I would question, oh, why are you doing this? Why are you doing it again? Because I always knew it wouldn't stop for four days. Yeah. And yeah. my biggest thing about addiction towards the end was the getting and the chasing. It was always the chasing that I got more high off chasing, ch chasing it, getting it. And once I had it, I'd be like, oh no, yeah. you've done it again. And then I'd be off on running for four days. But you know, I, it's always I, about the wanting. Yeah, I remember going to a liquor store in the morning, six o'clock in the morning, freezing cold, t-shirt, shorts on. Yeah, always. Open the door, I walked in, I'm going into DT's Tony, I'm fucking shaking. I give him my money, I get over the bottle and I go, <sighs> all the shakes have gone, the sweating stopped. Right. It's like, and that's when I looked at him and thought, it's not the fucking alcohol, it's me. It's me that needs to change the way I think. So that, that's what we do. We have a 97% success rate as opposed to the Priory, which has 4%, 5%. It's like we only take on four people and, and you're mine until you recover. You're mine until you get your life back. And what we do as well is we get people the job back. We get the wife back in the house. We get the kids back. It's like a, it's a huge 90-day program that's, that's really aggressive and make sure that, that we do. And, and we've had some great guys there that we brought back. We picked Robbie Downey Jr. up from fucking jail and uh, he, he looked at the uh, Iron Man script. A 90% turnaround is a big turnaround. It's a big huge. Bonus. It's huge, yeah. Place. I mean, that, yeah, you know, that kind of is like saying that it works completely. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Another 8%. I mean, you know, if you go to treatment, when you're in treatment and there's 12 of you in a room, they will tell you very distinctively 11 of you are good, aren't going to make it and only one of you is. Right. Yeah. They said that to me and I, and I, I was like, yeah, right. And you know, it's kind of like, you know, it comes, it rings true because in that set treatment center, the majority of people I was in treatment with are now dead. Yeah. You know, and uh, I, I, it's kind of, it's kind of bizarre. When you, when you're, when you're working with people, do you, where do you stand with the 12 step, 12 step concept? Well, we, we think that the, the Book of Alcoholics Anonymous, the AA book, is the best. After all the reading I've done, Tony, 20 odd years in school and colleges, reading, studying Carl Jung, the Book of Alcoholics Anonymous is the best book on alcoholism, stroke addiction itself. Yeah. Because they were talking about a psychic change back in 1939. Well, today they call it neuroplasticity. It's, it's the same undisputable. thing. It's undisputable, that book, you know. It, that book's, you know, I'm 30, as I say, 13 years. And, it, and that's due to that book. That, that book, yeah. this program. Yeah. So, uh, when anyone ever says to me, oh, you know, AA and NA don't work, it's like, I'm like, literally, they do work. You know, not, meetings aren't for everyone. Yeah. You know that. The, the fellowship and the 12-step way and, the, you know, the spirituality of it, people use the word God as an excuse not to change. And, you know, when you get that gift of desperation, you'll do anything to change, regardless of that word God being in there. That's the least of your worries. Do you know what I'm saying to you? When you yeah. need to change and you want to change, you'll go to any lengths. And I, and I, I think that there are other avenues that people go down, uh, but they don't always stay down. Do you know what I'm saying no. to you? Yeah. 
and the yeah. book, the alcoholic, the AA book, has really changed my life. And I, and me too. And I can't, I can't argue with it. No, and uh, it mentions God three hundred and fifty-two times in the first one six four, and that worried me when I came around. But I'm flying, I'm flying home, I'm flying home from Manchester to San Antonio. I don't know whether I've told you this before. And uh, the captain comes on in that calm voice and said, okay, people are going to go through some rough patches. And all of a sudden, we dropped a thousand foot in the air. And Tony, you could hear a pin drop on that plane. And everyone went, <gasps> and everyone stayed there for a minute and sort of see what happened. And my buddy next to me leant over and said, I bet there's not many fucking atheists on this plane right now. Exactly. And I thought, wow, God, it's circumstantial. It gets bad enough, I'll start to believe. But I love what you just said. You just said they, they used God for a reason not to change. I've never heard that. They really do. You know how I can say it? Because I did exactly the same thing. When it was suggested to me that I went to meetings, I was like, no, they're, you, they're, you know, that's all they say is God, God, this, God, that. But you know what? I would use, I would fucking be praying for God at 6 a.m. when I'm waiting on a street corner for the dealer to hurry up. I'd be like, please God, please God, let him hurry up. Please God, let him give me tick. Please God, I know I own most money, but let him give me tick. <laughs> I would pray then, or I would pray for like someone to fall under a bus. You know, that always came into it. I was never going to go to a meeting because they were too godly. You know, they used the word God. You know, I, I believe in a higher power. I believe I'm, that I'm not dead for a reason. I don't yeah. believe in, I, I'm not a religious person, but I'm a very spiritual person. Yeah. Uh, I believe in energy and I believe things happen for a reason at the right time. There's no, you know, it's not a coincidence. It's no, not definitely not. Ever. No. It's for a reason. And, you know, it's for me today, I use the, I pray in the back of taxis on the way to gigs. I pray, and you know why? Because if I don't, my imposter syndrome will tell me, you're fucking shit. You yeah. can't DJ. Everyone yeah. here is going to laugh at you. And yeah. unless I hand that stuff over to the God of my understanding, which is, you know, something far greater than I am, it stays in my head. It's about, it's not even about the word God or any of that stuff. It's about putting it out there, getting it from here it's out there. Because once it's in here, it turns into something so big. So yeah. big. And I, it will ruin not only my night, but it will ruin 2,000 other people's nights. Yeah, yeah. And that's without a drink or a drug. Yeah, isn't and that crazy? Self-dialogue, Tony. Self-dialogue will kill me if I'm not careful, okay. you know? And I always say this. You know, this guy here, this is Rob Kelly. This is the alcoholic. This guy here will sleep with your wife, steal your girlfriend, steal all your money and your car. And, and, and that's me. That's, that's getting up in the morning. And this here is my 12-step stuff. Call my sponsor. Call my sponsor. He's doing the right thing. And I can walk out the house like this. And this guy today, Tony, is going to be a great guy. But I have a guess who the fuck waits me up tomorrow morning. It's this guy again. Always. And unless I do this on a daily basis, I am fucked. Because this guy's gonna die and probably take some some people with him as well. Always. And you know that you you know. You're great at taking prisoners in any situation. I know. It's Except for the one that's gonna help us. Yes, exactly. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Someone says yeah. you look the lifeboat's over there, or you can go for a swim over there and take your chances. We always take our chances in the swim because you know we're not gonna get on no lifeboat because that's too safe for us. <laughs> we will dive in head first and think. You know what? It's only it's only four hundred miles to four hundred miles to the nearest island. I'll i swim because that's how our brain oh works. God, that that's so the process. You know what I mean? <laughs> I'll take my chances. <laughs> always, always. Oh, man. I, I hate to use that terminology of stinking thinking because it really pisses me off. 
It reminds me of being in treatment. But you know, yeah. that, that thinking process, you know, never goes away. But what it does do, it, 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 it gets lesser and lesser the more power I take away from it. Yes. Yeah, definitely. So, uh, so today, how clean are you today, if you don't mind me asking? Uh, I'm in the 20s. Incredible. Amazing. I never really give my sobriety today out because here's my deal. You should know by speaking to me that I've had a spiritual awakening and a psychic change. Oh, you should right. know. And you get them guys at the back of the meetings, you know, oh, well, I've got, I'm, I'm John and I've got 50 years sobriety. Fuck you and your 50 years sobriety. When's the last time you helped somebody? When's the last time you took a good report? So it's a really interesting you say it because, you know, for me, so a lot of people go, oh, clean time means nothing. Fuck off. Unless you've got clean time, you wouldn't know what it means. But yes. also, what really annoys me is the fact that, you know, clean time, being clean from alcohol or drugs or anything else doesn't make you well. Correct. It's yes. the engagement of yes. self-loving and a self-loving program, which doesn't happen to be for everyone, but it's about working on yourself. It's about yes. change. And unless you do that stuff, you know, in order for me to help myself today, Rob, I have to help other people. Yes. Because that comes yeah. up. I help other people and then it helps me. It centers me, it, takes, it gives me everything. And throughout lockdown, I've taken like a meeting every day since the beginning of lockdown. And I cannot tell you that, you know, people are like, oh God, don't you get bored of taking it. I cannot tell you the connection it's given me, the, the, the power in the sense of self-love and self-calmness and it's restored the magic in my house with my partner. My partner's now nearly 60 days clean. Wow. Which is insane. I've been yeah. with him for years. Every day I pray for that. And he's nearly, he's nearly every 60 days in a few days' time. And the magic has been restored in our house. And that comes the fact that I do that meeting every day. It enables me to be a better person. It, it helps other people, which in order helps me. It's a... It's, it's a, a it's a selfless act. It really is. Yeah. It comes yeah. before everything else. And I think that those people who get 50 years and sit in the back of the meeting or are the ones that sit judging everybody else. Yeah. Yeah. You know, because they, they don't, they forgotten what the gift of desperation yeah. is. Yeah. You know, that's so true. there's nothing better in this world than listening to someone that's just got that gift. Yeah. Yeah. You know, someone that rings you and asks you for help. And you hear it in their voice and you think, yeah. wow, this person really wants it. And, and you know, there's nothing greater than doing that for them. Do you get what I'm saying? Yeah, it's phenomenal. Big thing he says that, working with somebody else and abstaining from alcohol like nothing else will. And I've done it in the past. You know, I've, uh, I, I, at my second marriage, I came out of the church and we got a phone call uh, in Dallas. And this guy sat in his car with a gun to his head and he said, I'll only speak to Rob. And they called him and said, he ain't coming, he's getting married. What the fuck's wrong with you? He ain't coming. As soon as the call came through, my wife said, get going. And I went round yeah. there and I talked him down. And, you know, that's the gift for me, being able to help somebody. Yeah, of course, 100%. And, you know, and, and that, comes from, that comes from working on ourselves and, and, and that change. Because, you know, if, you'd, if I got a phone call 14 years ago at 6 o'clock in the morning, if it wasn't the dealer, I would not have answered it. Yeah. Yeah. I wasn't interested in anybody else unless they had something to give me. Yeah. And today it's not like that. Today it's about what I can do for somebody else. That, that Then it comes to me. Do you get what I mean? Yeah. yeah. It's well, amazing how we change. It really is. And so where are you based now? Well, I'm based in San Antonio, Texas, but we only do, well, mainly do IOP. 
So we're telehealth, and I've been for nine years. So everyone's talking about this new telehealth. Fuck you, we've been doing this for nine years. You know, we're the, we're the leaders of this stuff. And uh, so we can work anywhere in the world. Uh, we're pretty fucking good at what we do. And, and I'm not like any other doctor. Uh, and the reason why, I will scream and curse your ass if you don't follow directions. I will jump on my plane and come down and fucking get you if you don't show up. I'm exactly the same when it comes to that stuff. You know, people go, wow, you're really hard on them. Or you, I can't believe you just said that to someone. I'm like, fuck off. My theory is some people need meetings and some people need beatings. And when I say beatings, I don't mean physical punches. Yeah. I mean kicking in the fucking ass. Kick them up the yes. ass. Tell them what they need to hear. Yeah. You know what? If, if it wasn't for someone treating me that way, I'd be dead right now. Me too. I mean, I had a, I had a sponsor, uh, one of my first sponsors told me, worked with a lot of people in London, uh, South London, and uh, I remember relapsing once, and he picked me up from my flat to go to a meeting, and I gave him 10 pounds, and I said to him, Tony, can you take this so in case I, I, I relapse? And he fucking punched me across the face, nearly knocked my teeth out, and he said, what are you, a fucking man? And I asked, get up. And I'm like, oh, but he, that, guy, that guy saved my life through that, through that stuff. I wouldn't, I'd come in one big You know, when I say today in meetings when I see somebody, oh, look, Rob, come over here. Little Johnny's had a relapse. Can we get him some coffee? Fuck the fucking coffee. Why isn't John on the same path as me that got me to a different place? Why the fuck? What's his sponsor doing? You can't come to me and sit down and expect to stay sober. There's work to do. And all them guys that never carry a big boat, don't know what they're talking about, don't have the spiritual awakening, they're called heavy drinkers. I tell my guys, stay the fuck away from them. Because them guys will kill people like me. Or we'll, we'll just you know, take our time. When you get clean, people say stick with the winners. And uh, yeah. you know, and you just think, oh, well, who's the winners? The ones with the, the, the big car and the new shoes? No, the winners are the ones that got that fucking extra sparkle in their eyes. Yeah. The ones that talk, talk sense and tell you what is yeah. what. You know, uh, I didn't come into to recovery to get cuddles. I was full of troubles. And my troubles needed to be treated. And a cuddle was never going to treat that. You, yeah. know, I, you know, like anything in life, you are, for me, and I can only talk from my own experience, is that I have to learn it the hard way. And yeah. recovery, I've learned the hard way because I made it that way. Do you get what I'm saying? Yeah. It wasn't yeah. easy to get clarity and to be to wake, go to bed every night with my head on my pillow. But you know what? If anything's worth having, it, it's worth fighting and working for. You don't get nothing in this life. Anything that you do get for free in this life, you throw away anyway. We live in a throwaway society. The more you work for something, the more you appreciate it. And today, I, you know, I appreciate life so much because I, 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 I have to fight to stay alive sometimes. A thing happened to you last year. What was it? Well, after 20-something years, um, my daughter got in contact with me on Facebook. She messaged me and says, hey, Dad, uh, which is so beautiful to hear because we've, we've just not spoken. Mom kept him away from me. And then since then, I've been over to England for five or six times and I've held my granddaughter. And it's funny and it's beautiful and great. But what was, what's funny, Tony, is I, I, my book came out about six months ago and it, it, I entitled it The Last Thing She Said to Me, which was, Daddy, Daddy, Please Stop Drinking. And it just all ties in. And when I met her, because we'd not finished the book, I, uh, I, I dedicated the book to her. And it was just, it was so healing, you know, for both of us. And we talk every day. Now, the youngest one hasn't come around yet, but she will, Tony. Just do what I've got to do. Yeah. No, that's recovery. That really is the recovery. I'm really, really happy that you come on today. So happy. Uh, I read 
read your bio and everything. And I was like, wow, you know, I like the way you think. And, you know, as you said before, this, you know, the way forward for me is people go, oh, I can't wait for physical meetings and one-on-one. For me, Zoom and all of this technology, the way that I, we can talk to each other on our laptops is so, so much easier because, you know, from the beginning of lockdown to, to, to now, I must have had four and a half thousand people in my living room. Wow. All of them wanting recovery. Yeah. All yeah. of them on Zoom. And that's a special thing. And this yeah. is the way forward. This is the way the future. One-on-one yeah. meetings, yes. But, you know, this has, is the way forward to, to enable it. And as addicts, you know, we, we hate change. We, yeah. you know, we hate change. You know, unless it's, you know, unless there's something at the end of it. Recovery's taught me to embrace. And, I, and this, is, this is a brilliant way of doing it. And I just want to say thank you so much, Rob. We're going to put your uh, website up on the end of this to people who watch this that uh, want to inbox me and ask me for your, for your details and stuff can actually see it and, do, and, and take, take, it, take it on themselves for once. I'm going to ask you one DJ question. What is the one record, when you're feeling really down and really low, what is the one track that lifts you? One of my favourite songs that inspires me all the time when I feel down is a song called Let Me Entertain You by Robbie Williams. Absolutely amazing guy. Uh, I've met him a few times. And the song just inspires me because I, I like to think I'm an entertainer still from my early uh, musician days. But I still entertain people. I still inspire people. And I still like to put on this show uh, for other people's benefit. Not to show off, but just to give them the spirit and give them the courage to carry on. So, yes, awesome song. Thank you so much. No, thank you, Tony. Big love. Thanks, bro. Appreciate it. God bless.